I'm James Chow with The China Current. I really hope that wherever you're listening to this, you're safe, you're secure, and you're in good physical and mental health. Nothing is ordinary any longer. The pandemic has created such a fundamental shift in all of our lives that going back to normal, as we've so often said and heard, is simply not going to happen. I draw hope from that because our world was already broken, and that brought us to this humbling point in human history. But how do we go forward? And to unpack that, how do we build resilience, solidarity, and kindness? For this episode, I want to return to a conversation I had in May 2020 with Ernest Solberg, who for seven years has served as Norway's Prime Minister. It's always an honor to interview a head of state or government, and this time was no exception. Prime Minister Solberg spoke about her people, a vaccine that she's helping to fund, and how we must come together as humanity. And for this podcast, the China Current was in special partnership with Xi, the conference, the community, and the movement to achieve gender equality and all equality. Go to shiinsight.com where you can add your name to the important work they do. But for now, please enjoy this interview, which you can also watch in video on thechinacurrent.com. My name is Anna Solberg. I am the Norwegian Prime Minister. Prime Minister, Norway has pledged one billion dollars to the global COVID nineteen response, and the focus of your funds will be on the development of a vaccine. This is a health emergency, but it's one that also carries enormous economic and social dimensions. So, will a vaccine be enough to turn the corner? I think the vaccine is an important starting step to. Get into a more normalized situation. I think we need a vaccine to make sure that we can go back in the same way as we used to work. That we can cut out the social distances. That we can take care of vulnerable people in our society. And I think that's an ex- important step to start to solve all of the other issues that arises from the the COVID nineteen disease and the fact that we have a pandemic that is not just a health crisis but also is a Uh, in a way, a socio-economic crisis all around the world, with people with jobs lost, with economic development uh, going backward. The vaccine is the answer to getting more back to normal.、Um, we of course try to combat and to keep control over the disease, but it's difficult in a globalized society to make sure that you know eradicate. Uh, a disease like this, which is quite contagious, and have moved so more or less all countries in the world have been affected. May we look now at Norway's response because you've had one of the lowest numbers of deaths and also the lowest numbers of infections. And if we look at the big picture, you decided very early on to go in early, to go in hard, and not to look back. And you've also been crafting your public policy based on science. But I was also wondering how much of this. "Quote unquote" success also has to do with culture and mobilizing the society in Norway. When we decided the twelfth of March to close down a lot of the activity in our economy, including closing schools, we made that because at that time we were number four in Europe on numbers of people who are infected. We had this very quite rapid rise in the beginning. Uh, due to the fact that it coincided, arrival of the sickness in Europe coincided with winter holiday in Norway, and there was a lot of people going to Austria and northern Italy to ski, and we got a large influx of people coming back being ill. 
So in a way, we started early, but we had a high number of people who were infected at that time. And uh, because I think that gave us, you know, the, the rights of concern from the first who was infected on the 25th, 26th of February uh, up until 12th of March was a quite short time limit, but it was a high number. So when we closed down, uh, I think we got control over the disease quite, quite rapidly. I think the reason why we did that is, well, it's at least twofold, if not more. I mean, yes, we did. Uh, we did strict uh, regulations, um, especially on uh, on some of the person-to-person -person services, on bars not being open, um, schools being closed. But it also, I think, gave us the um, uh, sense in our society that this is real, this is something I have to follow. And we have this communal spirit in our country that uh, it's not about raising the finger and telling people you have to do that, but, you know, explaining it. We are in this together, so people would uh, align to it. They, they um, went home, they started to work from home. We are a quite digitalized society, so it was easier for people to continue to work being at home. But they had to homeschool their children at the same time with the help of the schools. So it was a burden for people. Uh, we did not close down with a lockdown so that people couldn't go out. In fact, we said the opposite. We said, yes, you need fresh air. Go out. We are... Uh, country with a lot of space. So you can go out, go out, get fresh air, but keep distance. Keep yourself to your, your own family and not be in groups that are more than five people. And people stuck to this for quite a long time. Even the young people, which we have uh, felt very sorry for disturbing their, you know, when you're from 16 to 20, um, every, every spring is uh, the most important part of your life. You will never get the age of 17 or 18 back again. So I think it's important that uh, they also stuck, in fact, with, with, uh, with the type of regulations. And uh, we've, that's why we also quite rapidly could start reopening because we got the numbers down. And I think yesterday, I think there was eight or nine persons in Norway who, who were new infected. Uh, and we still have stricter measures on bars, for example, and on, uh, on social distancing, but the numbers are very low. If we look back to last September, you were at the UN General Assembly and you launched with Germany and Ghana the Global Action Plan, which aims to speed the work of the Sustainable Development Goals to the year 2030. And I suppose even far beyond that as well. Is there a fundamental experience from that important work that you lead globally that we can repurpose for COVID-19 and then for the next pandemic? The understanding that health issues is affecting all other sectors, that issues are interlinked. When we talk about the sustainable development goals, we often talk in sectors. We talk about education, we talk about health, but they are all interlinked. And we live our life in an interlinked society. That's why we need to have to join forces together on all of this issue. Health is extremely important, you know, to see results both in economy, but also in education, in, uh, in the development of our societies. And that's why investment in health is an investment in a fairer and, and more inclusive society. And, and that's one of the main aspects of, of, our, of the uh, Global Action Plan was in fact to make that clear statement that these are interlinked and we have to take that with us in the future meaning that when you look at uh, how do you empower countries to grow economically uh, investments in health that is inclusive 
you know, universal coverage is important. Education is important because there's a, um, the impact between education and health is very big, especially in poor countries. If you have a better health system, you will get more young people who can finish and go through school, but it will also reproduce itself in a better health situation in the future because when people are more knowledgeable about their own health, they will also take more control over their own bodies, their own life, and live healthier life. Prime Minister, when we watch you, when we listen to you, when we feel the impact of your vision, we understand that you embody the range of sustainable development goals. You mentioned some of them there, quality education, good health and well-being, life below water. But of course, there's number five, goal number five, which is gender equality. Because we live in this world where there's so much critical gender inequality. And the World Economic Forum says that COVID-19 could add decades onto the centuries fight we have to close the gender capital gap. My first question on this would be, what can we do? What can we all do to progress in this fight for gender equality? I think the ref is a little bit too pessimistic on, on women's issues. There's a lot of these things that are basic structural changes that have happened in decades. And, and that won't change because we have had this uh, health uh, issue. But we see that uh, violence against women seem to have increased during this period because uh, uh, domestic violence is uh, one of the biggest health risks for, for women. Uh, we, we see that, of course, when schools are closed, we will have to look even harder on the fact that those, when they open up again, that uh, also girls are included in the educational system, that they are not lacking behind when you start up again around the world. So I think there are more hope for, for these issues. But there are a couple of areas where I see that there has been a setback before COVID-19 too, and that's uh, reproductive health in a lot of countries. Um, uh, we see that that has been, been more difficult the last years. Of course, has to do with financing of international organizations' work, but also um, that um, um, when there is a turn back for human rights around the world, it often aligns itself with a, with a more difficult situation for women's rights. And uh, even though women mainly is a majority, they tend to be... Uh, in this aspect, more of a minority when it comes to what to make ensure that the rights are, are also in focus. When we look to the future, how can we mitigate the impact that COVID-19 is having on women and girls, but also how can we ensure that they benefit from the long-term recovery? First of all, um, the basic thing we have to do is to make sure that the economic impact bec becomes smaller because Every group that is more marginalized than the majority or, you know, have a um, more difficult connection to the labor market, for example, will be the most hurt. We see that in Norway, too. I mean, migrant family and migrant women are more out of work now than, uh, than uh, uh, the uh, Norwegian citizens on an average is because they are working in the tourist industry, they are working in... In, yes, in, in more low-paid jobs that have been more hit by this crisis. So it's important to have understand that how this crisis affects people so that when we go back, we also look at how can we mend for those who are the most affected. 
Uh, economic growth is important. I've spoken to a lot of African uh, leaders the last days uh, uh, on how COVID-19 is affecting them. The disease is affecting them much less than the economic downturn is doing. The economic downturn, the, the stop in international distribution of the, uh, goods and services is in fact probably going to make secondary effects that will hurt people. Maybe also in some countries less um, food supply which we know is difficult for women. So over the world, I think this is, the, this is one of the la uh, large uh, issues that also will hurt women. Uh, every, every group that is um, a little bit less inclusive in the economy will be, be more hit now than, than they were before. So economic growth is important. Understanding that education is important. Understanding that we also have to work on this universal health coverage access to health medicine is extremely important. And then, of course, a fair distribution of a vaccine when we get it, which is going to be one of the challenging multilateral issues the next months to make sure that when we get a vaccine, uh, that it's not just given for people who have states and governments who are able to pay for it, but also is distributed more fairly. You describe that as one of the challenging multilateral issues ahead for fairness and equity in terms of a vaccine that's offered. I mean, some countries have said that they will offer it as a global public good. Um, are you confident, though, that we will overcome that hill, that we will achieve that equity together? I hope. I think that's one of the reasons why we have been supportive, both of SEPA, this coalition for, for preparedness against pandemics and epidemics when it comes to vaccines, and, uh, and, and Gavi, because those are the two biggest... Um, international bodies we now have together with the World Health Organization to make sure that we are producing a vaccine, we are researching it, but also producing it in a different different countries and make sure that it is a, it is a universal um, and, and that it is a common good for the whole world. Prime Minister, you may or may not know this, but there is growing public commentary about women leaders and just how if more effective they've been in this COVID-19 response. Uh, individuals like yourself, like Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, and of course Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Do you think in this context of leadership and in crisis, do you think that gender is a coincidence or an accurate indicator? Maybe it's easier or maybe uh, countries and societies who elect women as, uh, as their leaders have something in common that makes it easier through these uh, um, times to solve issues like that because we know that there are barriers, there are difficulties uh, for women in politics in a lot of countries. It's been like that in, in my country too, but we are over that. I'm the second female prime minister in Norway. I think people are looking upon as unnatural to have a woman as a man. Uh, we don't have that male stereotype as, as our leader uh, figure in a way. And that's some, so maybe there are some aspects to the society that gets women leaders because uh, that they are also um, maybe b organized in a different way, have this community feeling that is, uh, is, is clearer and bigger. I, I agree that if you look at most countries led by women today, uh, the COVID-19 response has been um, firm, it's been clearer, the numbers are 
lower both on people who are sick but also on people who have died during this. I think, I think it's an interesting social science dispute in the future. Uh, does leadership lead to something more? I think what women leadership sometimes lead to is uh, maybe that we are addressing these issues publicly a little bit different. That we are uh, trying to be less authoritarian and more persuading and, and communal in our way of, of dealing with this because we probably know that raising the finger and telling everybody that you shouldn't do that and that but you know getting people to understand why we are doing things is more of a female type of modern leadership. Convincing people for things that is right not threatening them to do it. Prime Minister you through this work over the last few months and all the preparation that came ahead of this pandemic have helped save millions of lives, families, and also communities. When we look ahead though, there are going to be other challenges, especially with Norway as one of the world's top petroleum exporting countries. Yeah. And at a time when COVID-19 is causing oil markets to collapse, would it be too much to say then that this could present you with the biggest challenge that you face as a leader? Absolutely. We, we did have a very low uh, uh, oil price, which was a shock to our economy in 2014-15. We had a crisis round at that time too, but this is deeper. It's both a health crisis and it's an economic crisis. And Norway is, of course, to, uh, uh, like all other countries, hit by the, on the economic side by our own measures but uh, to combat the pandemic, but also the international uh, effects of the pandemic. Norway is a small country with a very open economy, meaning that we are extremely dependent on other countries' economic development for our own businesses. And then, of course, we have a very low oil price, mainly now due to the COVID-19 and very low activities. I mean, there are hardly any planes going these days. The whole infrastructure need for energy is very low. But also because we had this uh, oil price war in the start of this point where uh, US, Saudi Arabia and Russia was in, uh, and, um, in a bit of a conflict on how to settle production rates. So we feel that we have a double hit uh, economically. Uh, we have a sound economic basis. We have, of course, the sovereign fund that we have been saving money in, investing internationally, so that compared to other countries who very often have to contract their public budgets in times of crisis, we have a pub uh, possibility to expand. That means that we can um, um, contra uh, we can work against the effects in our internal economy on on, on cutbacks in budget because we, we do have enough money to that. But it is insecurity, it's job. We have unemployment rates around 10%, which we, which we haven't had since the, since the 30s. The Great Depression is what we can compare ourselves to when it comes to unemployment rate. The difference is, of course, that we have uh, income uh, guarantee systems. That means that people are not suffering the way they did in the 30s, that they are still getting money paid by the state uh, in compensations for, for being out of work permanently or temporarily. We do have some, some better ways of dealing with it, but it's going to take time to come back. And that's also the same for the world economy. And for all of those millions of people who are living and working in the tourist industry, 
I think they are among those who is going to be most hit the, uh, the next years. And we know a lot of countries, uh, that is jobs where the pay is low. It's uh, a lot of people there working there that is, uh, of course, hit the most all over the world. You're Prime Minister of Norway of around 5 million people. And you are a person to whom millions more around the world look up to and aspire to. What is your message to the world at a time when we are confused and deeply, deeply fragile? First of all, I'm a basically optimistic person. I think we will both learn from the experience and we will move forward after this. But we do really need to think, focus on one thing. The pandemic is an international catastrophe. It needs more international cooperation. We need more multilateralism, not less multilateralism. We will not cope with these issues in the future if we don't, in fact, work more together. And, uh, and if people think that this is thing where we can close our borders and say we need to cooperate less, then we will lose out on welfare, on knowledge, and the technology that we are in is moving so fast that we need to work even harder together in the future. And I think what really COVID-19 should show us is that we need more international cooperation. We need to have more international policies, not just international economy and technology, but we also need international policies to work on this. Because I believe, as a firm believer in human rights and democracy, I believe that it should not be technology, not capital, not that runs the world. It should, in fact, be politicians that are multilateral cooperating that to solve common uh, common issues in the future. That would be my main message to everybody. I think it's uh, uh, we will all just lose out on jobs, welfare, and a better living if we are believing that uh, politics can turn inwards and 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 not uh, support a multilateral approach to these issues. Prime Minister Anna Solberg, it is an honour speaking with you, and we thank you. Thank you.